So we continue in our series in Ephesians. Um, we come to the first of a series of very practical applications that the Apostle Paul gives us in light of all he said in the first three chapters, and really halfway through the fourth chapter as well. And uh, before we get to that text, I just want to pose the question to you, is it ever okay to tell a lie? I mean, we've all done it. Certainly doesn't seem like the most heinous sin. Certainly not up there with murder, right? Greed. Sometimes we comfort ourselves by saying, you know, they wouldn't really understand. Or, I didn't want to hurt their feelings. I'm not really lying. I'm just not telling the whole truth. Right? You ever done that? Despite the fact that the reason we don't tell the truth is precisely because we want to misdirect and hide the whole truth. I suspect that most of us don't directly lie uh, often, but we're, we're just more likely to tell half-truths or omit key information that shapes the perception away from the whole truth. A subtle lie. Maybe we reassure ourselves that there seem to be occasions when lying is necessary. There are two stories in the Old Testament and a, and a very common story from recent history in the last century that are often brought up in this regard. You probably know what I have in mind. Exodus 1, uh, Pharaoh decides that uh, the way he's going to address the growing population of the Israelites who were slaves in Egypt is to have the Hebrew midwives kill every baby boy that's born. And uh, of course, the Hebrew midwives don't do that. And when Pharaoh asks them about it, they lie to him. They, they give him an excuse that made it seem like they were trying to obey what he asked them to do, but they just couldn't get there in time to make it look like a stillbirth. And the text explains that their motive for their disobedience to Pharaoh, not necessarily their lie, but their disobedience was the fear of the Lord, and God blessed them for preserving life. A second example is found in Joshua 2 when the king of Jericho is looking for the Hebrew spies that are hiding in the house of Rahab, the prostitute. And when the king's messengers come to her house looking for them, she lies to them. Uh, God blesses her for protecting the Hebrew spies. And it's very similar to that modern-day story from the last century of, of Corey Ten Boom and her family, if you're familiar with this, uh, who hid the Jews from the Nazis during World War II in order to preserve their lives, to protect them. And so it's clear that on certain occasions, godly people who were faithful to God have chosen to oppose evil and to preserve lies by lying to wicked men bent on violence. And that's exactly the same reason I tell a lie too, right? I mean, uh, that's usually not what we're doing uh, when, when, when we uh, fib the truth. Our text today is one verse in Ephesians. I thought I was going to preach on two verses. Two verses are printed in your bulletin, but we're only going to look at verse 25 today. And as I said when I began, it, it, this starts a series of practical points of application that, that flow from what Pastor Peter was talking about last week. And so as we get ready to look at verse 25, let's back up and reread the context that we looked at last week uh, that will set the stage for our verse today. So if you have a Bible, you can uh, turn to Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17. If you don't, there's 
Bibles in the, in the chair racks in front of you. You'll find that on page 949. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17. This is the word of God. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way, that you, the, the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we are all members of one body. I like the way the New Living Translation puts verse 25. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all part of the same body. Another way that we could translate that verse. We'll come back to the rationale for the wider context in a minute, but first let's briefly reflect on, on how the Scripture teaches how serious God is about this issue of lying, how, how uh, it sits in his eyes as, as we do that. And, and before we jump into that, let me pray for us. Father, we, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that your spirit would take it and teach us with it. We pray that you would use uh, my words, this sermon, to, to help us understand it, to challenge us, to encourage us, to speak to us whatever we need to hear from you today that you would draw us closer to you, that we would rest more fully in Christ, that we would seek to follow you and honor you with our lives, that that, in fact, Lord, would be our heart's desire. Work in us to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first point that I want to make is, despite how cavalier sometimes I think we can be with this whole issue of, of being very precise with the truth, Scripture is very clear, uh, and, and I don't choose these words lightly, Scripture is clear that God hates lying. God hates lying. I'll just quote from a couple of books. We could, we could spend a lot of time quoting throughout the Scriptures, but I'll just look at Proverbs and Revelation as examples. Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19 says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to Him. And here they are. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Lying is listed alongside pride and violence and various forms of evil doing in God's eyes. Proverbs 12.22 simply says, The Lord detests lying lips but he delights in people who are trustworthy. 
we skip to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the Apostle John has this vision at the end of, of heaven, heaven coming down out of the sky and joining with this renewed earth, a new heavens and a new earth. He's making all things new. And in that context, John hears God say this. Uh, verse 6, chapter 21. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur, This is the second death. Very heavy words. Liars are included along with what we would consider generally to be very heinous sins. Um, Sin is sin, right? It deserves the judgment of God. It's, it's, uh, It's a big deal to God whether we tell the truth or not. Why? Why is it such a big deal? God is truth. Satan is described as the father of lies. It's antithetical to the very nature and kingdom of God. And there's a connection between the practice of lying and the condition of our hearts. In the wider context of Ephesians, it's what non-Christians do, Paul says, in the futility of their thinking. It's part of the corrupted old self that we put off when we're united to Christ by faith. So let's consider for a minute where lying comes from. Why does it bubble up in our, in our hearts, in our lives? Lying, in verse 25, is a specific practical example of what Paul was talking about in verse 22, which Peter preached on last week. Verse 22 says, "...put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires." Verse 25 uses that same terminology to put off, but instead of old self, it's getting specific, a specific thing that we should put off. Uh, It says that we are to put off lying. Verse 22 tells us that our old nature that we had before we are converted is corrupted, it says, by deceitful desires. Deceitful desires. Now, there's nothing wrong with desire in itself. We, we were created to desire, right? It's part, of, it's part of what it means to be human. There's, there's nothing inherently wrong with desire itself. We can desire good things, like uh, we sang earlier today, asking that uh, we would desire to, to honor God. The psalmist in Psalm 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. We can desire to please God. We can desire to exhibit love and joy and peace and patience and so on. What's bad is when we desire the wrong things. Verse 22 says that our old self was corrupted by, it says, deceitful desires. Right? Misleading, lying, false, worthless desires. 
Lying is a problem because the reason we lie is because we have desires that we shouldn't have, Paul is, is saying, if we connect the dots here. And the reason we have them, he says, is because we've been deceived about what is truly desirable. Verse 18 tells us that in our spiritual deadness, we have a darkened understanding, which leads to ignorance about what is true and good and desirable in life. In other words... Lying reveals the idols of our hearts. Lying reveals the idols of our hearts, the things we trust in, the things we have to have alongside God or instead of God to, to, to be secure and safe, valuable. There could be a, mil, a myriad of false desires that could lead us to lie, but I think the most common ones are desires for protection and praise and peace and power. Protection, praise, peace, and power. And we, we see these things in idolatrous ways. We seek after them in idolatrous ways. In other words, rather than resting in who we are in Jesus, our identity in Christ, rather than looking to God to provide those things for us, we seek them from alternatives from God. We find our identity or worth in those alternatives instead of what is true for us in the gospel. And when those things are threatened... Or when we want to seek to attain them, one of the ways we do that is by lying. Let's think about protection. You know, sometimes we lie because we want to protect our pride. We don't want to be seen for who we really are. I, I still have a, a, an indelible memory in my mind from middle school that there was a, a particular teacher that I really respected and, and I, I wanted his approval and me and another guy, another buddy, were picking on another middle schooler, like the good kid that I was. And, uh, and he told on us, and I denied it. I just outright lied because I didn't want to risk his, 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 uh, his good feelings toward me, his approval of me, which was a, a ridiculous thing to do, as lying so often is the case. I'm found out in my lie, and he dis, you know, he, he's more disappointed with me than if I would have come clean. But I wanted to protect my pride. I, I'm not really a jerk like, like my, my buddy said I was. Or we admit we messed up. If we admit we mess, we've messed up or we don't know something, we, we may fear being made fun of. And so we lie to protect ourselves. Essentially, it's not being willing to admit that we're a sinner saved by grace. And so we try to protect our own righteousness with a lie rather than resting in the righteousness we have in Christ. We might tell our boss that we know how to do something because we want to protect our job. We don't trust that God will provide for us if we tell the truth, and so we take matters into our own hands and we lie. We may fear someone's reaction. You may lie to your spouse about how much you spent on tickets to the game because you fear how he or she, depending on uh, your interests, how, how they may respond if they find out. Sometimes we lie, not because we're afraid of people, but because we want their praise. So we lie for protection. We lie for praise. Longing for the praise of men is the flip side of the coin of being fearful of men. We want people to think we're good or important, and so we embellish a story. We add or we leave out details that make us look better. 
The lie that we're believing, the deceitful desire that we have is that the approval of others is to be more desired than speaking the truth. We think that their approval, the way they think of us, is what gives us value rather than finding our righteousness in who we are in Christ. Peace. We just may not want to have to deal with it. Uh, we, we may not want any trouble, so we've, we lie to avoid conflict or to avoid consequences. You uh, just want to do what you want to do, so you tell your parents you don't have any homework. You present to your boss that you've done everything assigned to you when, in fact, you've only done those things that come naturally to you that you're, you're most interested in. Last, I'll mention power. People will often lie or distort the truth or only present part of the story in order to establish or to maintain power, to get their way. Uh, Increasingly, people say whatever they think they need to say in order to bolster their point and and get their way. And this this has become so common that uh, every year the Oxford Dictionary comes out with the word of the year. And in 2016, the word of the year that the Oxford Dictionary came up with was post-truth. Post-truth. Um, take a look at this video uh, that's produced by the Oxford Dictionary about what this word post-truth even means. And uh, believe me when I say I have no partisan politics involved in this point. Right? But, but I'm more concerned with the statement that it makes about the nature of our society these days in light of how all of these things have, have unfolded. So take, take a look at this from the Oxford Dictionary. Post-truth. British politics was dominated this year by the Brexit referendum. In America, it was the presidential election. Both campaigns cause spikes in the usage of the phrase post-truth. That is, when objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. The phrase could now take on an even wider importance. It describes not just particular assertions, but a general characteristic of our age. And its usage in 2016 has sat overwhelmingly alongside just one other noun, cementing the idea of post-truth politics. The truth, lamented one British newspaper commentator recently, has become so devalued that what was once the gold standard of political debate is a worthless currency. I don't know if you could catch that. I think everything sounds more credible with a British accent. (laughs) But uh, the point that they were making was that post-truth doesn't just describe a specific statement that I'm making, an assertment, assertion that I'm making. It refers, it said, to the general characteristic of our age. That's a heavy claim. It says that truth is less important, even worthless, in debate because emotion, opinions, and unsubstantiated assertions can get you what you want more effectively. In that case, that desire is corrupt. It's a deceitful desire. It's, it's more important to you than God's truth. It's an idol. So why do we lie? Well, there are many reasons. There's probably as many reasons as there are people, but, but it may be that we want safety or praise or something else, but behind it all is a deeper desire that is corrupt, something that, is, that we desire as more important than God or His truth or acknowledging what He's done for us or who He says we are in Christ, what's true of us in Christ. 
And in order to change, friends, it's important that we're honest about this, that we understand what we might call the sin behind the sin, the thing behind the lie that motivates us to do that. But it's not enough to have a better handle just on what's motivating us to lie. We need a greater desire, a new desire, a godly desire, a desire more compelling that it pushes out the deceitful desires that currently motivate us. And so let's consider the truth that empowers truthfulness. That new desire is found through the gospel. That's what Paul has taken such pains to communicate to us in the first three chapters of of Ephesians. And then Paul speaks in verse 21 of the truth that we have been taught in Jesus. In verses 23 and 24, he speaks of what the gospel does, being made new in the attitude of our minds, putting on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You don't need to lie to protect your reputation because even though you were dead in sin, following the ways of the world and deserving God's wrath, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, despite that, God chose you. Let that sink in. God chose you to be holy and blameless in His sight, Ephesians 1, 4. You are a beloved child of God through faith in Christ, Ephesians 1.5. You don't need to lie to preserve your security. God has chosen you as part of his plan to work out everything in conformity to his will. That includes everything that happens in your life, Ephesians 1.11. Jesus himself reminds us in, in Matthew 6. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Trust God. You don't need to the praise of people, when God himself wants you to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. You don't need to lie to secure power for yourself. You need the eyes of your heart to be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. You need to trust the one who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is work at work within us, Ephesians 3.20. And in knowing and experiencing this great God who loves you and cares for you so much, who is committed to you, who has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, even as you await the promise of your inheritance to be fulfilled in all of its fullness when Christ comes again, as you know him and experience him in that way, through the gospel, by faith, it does something in your heart. It does something to your desires. 
You long to be more like him. You long to be renewed in the image of God, Paul says in Ephesians 4. In fact, God changes you and empowers you to put off your former way of life and to put on the new self created to be like God. These gospel truths are what motivate you to be a truth teller. And so if you're struggling to tell the truth, it's because of corrupt desires, alternatives to these things. The solution, if that's the case, is not to just stop it. Just stop lying, right? The solution is not to try harder to be a good, truthful person in and of itself. The solution is to preach the gospel to yourself by reminding you of the truth for you that is in Jesus, to trust and rest in that truth, to trust the God who declares those things to be true of you and for you, to let that inflame your heart to love him more which will purify your desires to live a holy life. That's what it means, Paul says in Ephesians 4.23, to be made new in the attitude of your mind. So what does that look like? Again, this is the first of several practical applications. Verse 25, part of what it looks like to put off, be renewed, and put on is to speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. We're all members of one body. The neighbor that Paul has in mind here is specifically Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, members of one body together with us. Of course, we should always speak the truth to every person. Paul's not denying that at all. But of all the relationships and all the applications that he could have focused on, He chooses to admonish us to tell the truth to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we're members of one body, we belong to each other. We're members of each other. He's made that point over and over again in every chapter of the letter. In chapter 1, verse 23, 2.16, 3.6, 4.16. He'll make it again in chapter 5, 28 through 30. If you're part of the same body, when you deceive another part of the body, it's like you're deceiving yourself. It's counterproductive. It's self-destructive. But what specifically does Paul have in mind? In Ephesians, speaking the truth means more than just passing on accurate information, as much as we should do that, right? It's, it's more than making true statements in general, which, which we should do. It means more specifically speaking the truth of the gospel. The gospel is the message of truth that saved us, chapter 113. It's as we speak the truth in love that we grow to spiritual maturity, chapter 415, a reference, of course, to speaking the word of God to one another. It's as we've been taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, Chapter 4, verse 21, it's the belt of truth buckled around our waist that enables us to stand firm in the spiritual battle. Chapter 6, verse 14, the truth that we're to speak to one another is the truth of God's Word. It's the truth of the gospel in all of its fullness. The gospel in all of its implications as we remind one another of what is truly desirable 
in light of what is truly good and pure and beautiful and worthy of our affections. It's what it means for us to be, as we like to say, a gospel-centered church. When we explain what that means, for example, on our website, you can't read that. I'll read it for you. Our first value that's stated is that we want to be gospel-centered. And what we mean by that, we say we believe that no true fulfillment or joy or peace can be attained apart from a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. The salvation that Jesus has accomplished for us is the solution to our greatest problem, which is sin. And if we stopped there then what we would mean by gospel-centered is that we, we need to become Christians. But the statement doesn't stop there. It goes on to talk about the ongoing implications of the gospel. The more we apply gospel truth to our lives, we say, the better we fulfill the grand design of the Creator for our lives. The more we will consistently put off falsehood and speak the truth to one another. To put off falsehood and speak truthfully to our fellow believers means that we'll help each other recognize the false desires, the counterfeit idols that we tend to all trust in. To put off falsehood and speak truthfully to our fellow believers, that means that we'll remind each other just how the gospel applies in our hearts in those specific places so that we renew our minds, we live out of the reality of who we are in Jesus Created to be like God in truth and righteousness and holiness. So let's be candid with each other. Straightforward. Let's not put on masks. Let's be plain and real and authentic and honest. Let's not put on false fronts and seek to posture or embellish. To, 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 to try to get each other to approve of, of us through manipulation. Let's... Let's help each other identify ways in which we tend to be deceived by falsehood about what is true of us, what is true of God, what is true in His Word. Let's preach the truth of the gospel to ourselves and to one another to continually remind us of who God is and what God has done for us and therefore what is true of us and what should be our desire and how should we live. Let's put off falsehood. And speak the truth to one another by the power of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you that you did not leave us where you found us. You accepted us in Christ where you found us, Lord, not because of our performance, not because of our truth-telling, not because of our righteousness. Lord, we were dead. We were corrupt. We were alienated from you, but you saved us. But Lord, you don't leave us where you found us. You desire to make us more like you, to renew the image of God in us. And so Lord, do that. Would we so experience your love? Would we grow in our affection for Jesus in response to your love? Would we know how wide and deep and high and and broad it is? Lord, that we would desire nothing more to, to honor you as we sang earlier to live for your glory and to enjoy you forever, to trust in you, to rest in you. And Lord, would that give us freedom? We would not have to posture and manipulate, but we would have a confident, bold humility in Christ. 
and that we would be a blessing of truth to one another, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.